Thanks for tuning in to the Fertility Health Podcast, hosted by renowned fertility specialist Mark Trollis, MD. Each episode features first-hand advice and potential treatment news, tips, and strategies listeners can use on their fertility journey. And now, here's your host, Dr. Trollis. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Fertility Health Podcast again. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Trollis, and today we're going to talk about the reproductive legal issues involved in surrogacy and adoption, uh, the, the uh, implications of this for our patients who are going through third party uh, are, are, are rather detailed. And so uh, I urge you all to, to learn more about uh, protecting your, your rights as you're going through this process. And as a result, I brought in uh, an expert, an international uh, reproductive health attorney to be able to address a lot of the issues that, uh, of which you're concerned. Uh, his name is Robert Terenzio. Robert and I have known each other, gosh, uh, more than 10 years when I had my foundation, Fertile Dreams. He was on the board of directors. And Robert is an assisted reproductive technology law. Uh, and he is on the health law section of the Florida Bar. He practices in Florida. He's a member of the Bar in Florida and Connecticut, which is where I did my training, actually. So uh, Robert is a member of the American Society for Re- Reproductive Medicine, the European Society of Human Reproduction and Embryology, and the American Society of Law, Medicine, and Ethics. Boy, I don't know why all of our societies are always so long. I don't know if you've noticed that, Robert. So uh, he's, They are. It's funny, isn't it? Yes, it is. So Robert is a longtime supporter and member of Resolve, the National Infertility Association. Uh, he speaks to physicians, nurses, allied medical personnel, attorneys, and, and, and the infertile public in the U.S. as well as in Asia, Europe, and South America. He is a plethora of knowledge, and I could not think of anyone better to bring on as a guest to our podcast than my dear friend Robert Terenzio. Robert, welcome to the Fertility Health Podcast, my friend. Thank you, Dr. Trollis. I, I appreciate uh, any time to chat with you, and I certainly appreciate an ability to speak to the patients of yours as well as the prospective patients of yours. Yeah, and, and we have a lot of them. Uh, and I, I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you is that there are certain states that are what we, what we call adoption-friendly, surrogacy-friendly what does that mean? Why, why are, is, is this state in California uh, and some others, why are they, what is the friendliness about them? Well, after the, a, a patient of yours, a client of mine, has invested time, energy, and emotion, and, and most certainly money into a process to have a child, the one thing we need is security, and that is, when the process is completed, they know that their parentage is locked in with that child. They know that nobody can come and interrupt their parentage over that child. That's the one thing that any parent should be looking at when looking for adoption or looking for reproductive technology. And uh, each day is a little bit different, so we want to embrace and utilize the states that are safe in that regard. So what, so California and Florida, uh, what, what is, is Texas also one of the other ones? Which states would you, would you say are, are, are uh, 
a good state, if you will, for patients to, to, to do surrogacy or, or adoption? Well, you know, since uh, the, the original uh, uh, test tube babies, I hate to use that phrase, but that, that's a phrase that's used. Um, California was the first one, the first state to come out of the block protecting parentage through the use of reproductive technology. Florida jumped in, took what was learned in California and codified it, and then other states started falling in behind. So we have Texas and we have Illinois, um, which are great states because they were some of the first states to start doing this. Um, But many states in, in New England, in the Midwest, they're all jumping on board with protecting yeah. parental rights. Good, good. And just a, a quick inter, interjection for some of our patients, and particularly for this physician, what does it mean to uh, that Florida codified? I'm, I, I'm sorry to, to, to uh, go back to legal speak. Um, it, there are two forms of law, generally speaking. There is what is known as case law or common law, law that comes about because a judge has said that a particular thing is right or wrong. The other form of law is codified law, either in the form of uh, uh, code or regulation, where a legislature voted on a particular law to be put into place. Typically, the codified laws, the the legislature-derived laws, are stronger than the uh, judicially uh, originated laws because they're less subject to interpretation. Okay, excellent. Uh, very good, very good. So we, we have the, the uh, surrogacy, and, and, and we have patients from this country and patients coming from, from other countries. Just to define it for the patients, you know, gestational carrier is now the term that we're, we're using more, and there's two types. There is the traditional surrogacy where the surrogate, the gestational carrier, actually is using her egg and will be inseminated with the the designated sperm or from the intended parent usually. Then there is IVF surrogacy where the carrier is receiving either a donated egg or from the intended parent or a donated sperm or from the intended parent. So that's sort of the third three-party reproduction. And it wasn't until recently that I learned how treacherous actually it is legally to do traditional surrogacy. We had done it in the past. And then more and more of our patients were going toward IVF surrogacy. But, Robert, explain the legal implications of, of traditional surrogacy versus IVF. Well, because in an IVF uh, cycle, the uh, gestational carrier has no genetic connection to the child, it's easier for the judge or for the legislature to say, you do not have a right to a parental relationship with that child. When we have a traditional surrogacy scenario, because she retains a genetic connection to the child, constitutionally, she retains an ability to object to the final uh, termination of her parentage. And it's that ability to object, typically within 48 hours, that makes that scenario a little more precarious for intended parents. And that's after baby's born. Yes, after, after the baby's born. Most of the states, 
um, have a, uh, I'll call it a cooling off period. Florida, as an example, has a 48-hour time frame from the moment of birth for her to change her mind. Wow. I mean, could you imagine? Wow. Well, yeah. and I can't imagine, and it has happened. And in fact, there is one reported case in Florida where uh, a traditional surrogate changed her mind. The parents objected to her changing her mind and um, filed a series of lawsuits. And exactly what we as attorneys would think happened did. They, the court turned around and told them because she retained a genetic connection to the child, because she objected within the 48-hour window, she could retain the child, and she oh, did. How tragic. How tragic for those intended parents. My gosh. You know, adoption, of course, has that same situation where you have the 48 hours for termination of parental rights. And uh, given that I had, uh, my wife and I had adopted our five children, those 48 hours, oh my gosh, they are gripping and you're on eggshells and it's uh, it's really difficult but to imagine uh for the for the patients who were going through surrogacy so what about the the challenges of international surrogacy that's that's probably more now because not only uh, do you deal with the basic legal uh, arrangements but now they have to get the citizenship or the the, the parental rights from the country of their origin correct Absolutely. And, and each country is, is individualized, meaning that how you uh, can present that child to, the, to your country is different. So uh, um, as an example, in France, um, and there's a lot of French business uh, uh, in surrogacy here in the U.S. because you can't do it there, first of all. Um, but when you bring the child back, there is a chauvinistic view towards the parents that bring the baby back. Wow. To be specific, if you have a mother and, and, and a husband, a mother and father who bring their baby back, and even if both folks are genetic contributors to that child, the mere fact that they use the surrogate disconnects the mother from the parentage, and she has to adopt her own child. Huh. And, and most of the countries are, are, are not like that, or they are? Well, every country is a little bit different. As I said, um, Fran France is one of the more extreme, thankfully. Okay. Um, okay. We don't have to go through as many manipulations with uh, any of the countries in South America. Um, most of the countries in, in uh, Europe are fairly easy. Um, China is a tough one, too, in some ways. But even China will accept uh, both husband and wife as parents immediately upon presenting the child to them. So, we, so I, don't, I don't think a lot of people know, or at least I, I, I didn't probably until, until uh, later, that in this country, in the U.S., New York outlaws surrogacy. Are, are there any other states in this in the U.S. that outlaw surrogacy? And and can you also speak to other countries that that uh, have that same law? Well, yes, New York is, is very vocal for all of the 
really cutting edge, socially minded things that New York does. Right. Surrogacy right. has, yeah, surrogacy has always been looked down upon. Um, it, 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 it's akin to abuse of a woman in their eyes. It's almost like prostitution. Um, wow. I, I can say, however, that uh, uh, acquaintances of mine are slowly pushing through uh, the laws after many, many years of work. And it may well be that 2019 sees a big change. Certainly the governor has been uh, making sounds that he would prefer surrogacy be legal within the state of New York. Um, Any other state is in the U.S.? Yeah, Louisiana, but we shouldn't be terribly surprised. Louisiana um, derives its laws from the French Code, um, so it, it, it it's uh, not looked favorably upon that, uh, upon surrogacy there. Um, the other states, which I think are even more problematic, are the states that don't have any laws at all. Because if they don't have any laws, then your ability to predict is lessened. So if you go to uh, a Michigan, as an example, um, you can, in effect, have a surrogate change her mind, and it can be litigated, and it's certainly possible that she could win, wow. even though she doesn't have a genetic connection to the child. Right, right. Okay. So the the ultimately, when when one of your patients walks in the door and says, "I would like to participate in a in a gestational surrogacy," um, wherever that surrogate is coming from is a is a paramount importance. You want to start with a stable framework from which to build that parental relationship. Right. They're going to have a a framework with you medically. Presumably, they'll have a good attorney who's going to put together a good contract, but we need a good birth state, a state that's going to recognize their parentage yeah. immediately. Yeah, we're just seeing so much of that in Florida, uh, not just in from this country of intended parents, but internationally. It's really remarkable. I never dreamed when I was doing my training that when I came out, there would be such uh, a deluge, if you will, of, of international clientele wanting to do this because of restrictions in certain countries. Which, which leads me to this, uh, uh, Robert, uh, LGBTQ uh, patients uh, we, we uh, are seeing in this country, but also internationally. What are special considerations for, the, for, the, for those patients? And, and also, are there, in this country, are there special considerations if they're not married? Well, it, 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 let's deal with those that are married first. You know, the, recall that the law has changed here, that um, a, a, a marriage between a gay or a lesbian couple are viewed equally as with a heterosexual couple, which means then that parentage should be viewed as equally. And under the law, certainly, um, both parents will be put on a birth certificate immediately as if they were a heterosexual couple. And it's called the presumption of marriage. So the presumption of marriage is that if your spouse is uh, a parent, then automatically you are a parent of that child. Um, now, where it gets a little interesting 
is that there are some jurisdictions that don't like it, notwithstanding the fact that there is a presumption. And the counter to that, and we just did this last week, is we had a, uh, um, a couple who basically came behind their birth certificate and we did a confirmatory adoption. And, and what is that? In, in effect, we, we had them adopt their own child. And in so doing, with an adoption and with a court saying that these folks are the parent of that particular child, nobody can interrupt their parentage. Even if just a moment before the court grants that adoption, their home state or their home country might have said, I don't recognize the non-biological parent. So the fact that they adopted really cemented their parenting, uh, their legal uh, parenting roles. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And we, so, we do this, again, re referencing France. So here, our couple is, is working with you. We have a child. I give them a birth certificate with both their names but they're not going to recognize uh, uh, the mother who's a, who, who didn't carry the child to term, even though the presumption of marriage applies, but it doesn't apply in their country, so we do an adoption. And that, yeah. it, that holds true with the LBGT uh, um, uh, patients and clients. Yeah. And now, if they're non-married, what, what, what is that? Then you go down the same path of wanting to that you'd have to go through the adoption process, correct? Correct. And and in that instance, we would do a, a two-part process. If if they are a a couple, um, we would have the biological parent uh, uh, recognized immediately as the parent of the child that was born, and then we would do a uh, second parent adoption, uh, excuse me, a step parent adoption um, to have the partner recognized as a parent of that very same child. And is that now <clears throat> some of our lesbian uh, patients will want to undergo re reciprocal egg donation where they're essentially sharing their eggs. Is that the same process that you that you would then be a two step process? Well, it, you know, that. It, 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 that's a great question, and, and you know, there's so many permutations. Let's say that we have a lesbian couple that are themselves married, and they're each doing reciprocals. Again, under the auspices of, of their marriage, when they both give birth, both of their names will go on to each of the two birth certificates. So from an administrative point of view, um, they are both parents to the child, to the children that were born, and obviously each one of them is genetically related to uh, their partner's child. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of our couples will, notwithstanding that presumption of marriage uh, uh, scenario, will still do a an adoption just to make things very very tough right. and clean. Where are the I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sorry about that. If we have a, a, um, an, an LGBT uh, couple where only one of them is a biological parent 
and did the biological parent didn't carry, then we would have a biological parent named immediately and then um, referencing to something I said a few moments ago, her partner or his partner will then have to adopt the child. Well, this is why you were around because uh, this, this is rather complicated as, as I'm sure all of our listeners are hearing. What is the expense, Robert? You know, you hear about surrogacy uh, can be sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars. Where are the big costs coming from? Where? Well, um, you know, you you have probably three. I would say three, possibly four components to costs. One would be what what is Doctor Trollis charging um, for all of the medical care. Uh, to lead, leading up to the transfer of the embryo. The second component is related to the surrogate, if we're talking about a surrogate. Where is she coming from? Is she someone that we, we know? Is she someone that's doing this um, gratuitously because she's a friend? Is it, uh, is it someone that's coming from an agency? Um, if, if it's a friend or a relative helping, man, it's going to be very inexpensive. But if we have to have an agency involved, an agency fee could be fifteen or $20,000. Right. And then finally, we have all of the things that may or may not occur during the course of the pregnancy and the birth. Medical care is expensive in the United States. But surrogacy, but from, from what I understand, though, I'm sorry to interrupt, but surrogacy, patients get insurance for, for, for their pregnancy, the surrogates. They they certainly do, but yes. there are still co-pays and deductibles. Uh-huh. Um, it's usually that the intended parents will be paying the premiums of that insurance during the course of the pregnancy. Um, and then the surrogate herself, particularly if she's one from an agency, is going to be reimbursed for her time and for the risk of her pregnancy. So... Uh-huh. You know, I, I would say that a commercial surrogacy arrangement um, can range anywhere from 80000 to $150,000. Yeah, yeah. And the attorney fees are, are not very expensive. It, it seems like it's the, it's the least of, of all that we're looking at. But it, it's a big, it's a big or, uh, ordeal. And uh, I just hope that we can do something to try to bring that down into a more, more reasonable rate because it's obviously not a guarantee. And it sort of segues to my next question is mandating fertility coverage. And obviously you could argue about whether surrogacy uh, should be covered, uh, but certainly basic infertility, uh, I think all of us in in the healthcare field would like to see that covered. And I'm going to put you on the spot uh, for my last question because you and I have talked about this a lot lot in in our social gatherings. Are we going to see a mandate in Florida for infertility coverage, and if not, what is the obstacle in your mind? Um, there, there are a number of states that do mandate it. Florida does not, as you as you just stated. I don't believe we'll ever see it here. And I had a conversation with a state senator a, a number of years ago who said that there are other illnesses that they would like to have as mandated coverage, they can't even get uh, uh, illnesses that carry with them a risk of death 
under a mandate, much less address the issue of, of fertility or infertility. Yeah, it's an uphill battle. Yeah, it's an uphill battle, but I don't think we, we should stop. And great people like yourself and Resolve and, and uh, other advocates uh, like uh, PCOS Challenge, and uh, I'm going to be uh, advocating for them uh, in Washington to, to get more insurance coverage uh, or for, for research as well, uh, more dollars for research. We just need to help our patients more and more. Uh, but this time has gone uh, quick as we expected because uh, Robert is, uh, is a tremendous knowledge base and I, I could just keep on asking him questions and questions and I'm sure you all enjoyed this as, as much as I uh, if you are in, in Tampa, Florida, Orlando, Florida, or actually he works throughout the country uh, as, as well as internationally. So uh, he's an excellent resource. Uh, he's a man of integrity, and uh, we use him a lot, as many others do. And so I would encourage you all to, to reach out to him uh, as you need. Robert, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate the, the opportunity to chat again with you and, and with your patients. Thanks for listening to the Fertility Health Podcast. If there's anything from today's show you want to learn more about, check out the IVFcenter.com for all the notes, links, and tips mentioned in this episode. If you're not already subscribed to the show, please press the subscribe button on your podcast player so you don't miss a future episode. And if you haven't given us a review or rating on iTunes yet, consider leaving a five-star review to help us reach and educate even more individuals in need. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next episode.